Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome to the Snap No Tap podcast. Uh, without Joe here, we have we fall apart. So we don't have our normal audio or musical introduction or outro, but so be it. Joe is supposed to be returning from his wonderful vacation um, tomorrow. So he should be here next week. And so, of course, we have the legendary Brian Deneve. Nico is working today. But we have a very, 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 very special guest, another one of the legends of the original crew. He's famous, uh, well, for several things, but we can't talk about some of the pornographic stuff. But we can talk about the Lucky 13, and this guy is a star, Mr. Fit, Martin Witkowski. Welcome, Martin. Yakshimash. Hello, Yakshimash, Tony. Yeah, Dobja. What's up, buddy? Haven't seen you in a long time. Right, right. Yeah, we haven't talked in a while. I think probably since one of your seminars up in Libertyville. Yeah. But, you know, I'm still still around, still uh, being busy with the kids and family. It's a lot of work. Yeah, well, you look great. I mean, you know, you, you don't change. You know, it's just one of those things with you. You've always been, you know, on the lean side and fit. And, boy, it's great. Great to see you, man. I can't wait to see you guys again in person. We were all trying to hook up this past Thursday. Uh, with Bruce, but, you know, we just couldn't make arrangements. It's tough, but we'll get it. Right. Families get in the way. Yeah, right. Life. How's it going, Brian Deneen? Hey, it's going great. It's going great over here. I'm just, um, just staying with some friends in, uh, up uh, in the well, northern part of Wisconsin, depending on what you say that is. So I'm in a, a new new environment. I'm in my usually I'm in my basement. I'm in a different basement. So yeah, we're bringing it, <laughs> representing basements all over Wisconsin. See, that's weird now because you know I'm used to you when I first met you being in you know Illinois. You're like a South Korean, and now you live up north. That's kind of weird. I got to watch what I say to people. I can't say hey, he's he's a North Korean, but in a way you kind of are right now. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Yeah, but uh, no, it's great to have Martin on, and you know, uh, through the years, I've gotten people who, you know, uh, the lucky thirty. I just, as a matter of fact, right before we filmed today's podcast, um, this husband and wife that I do a uh, um, remote distance learning, I guess you'd call it. Um, they were like all into that lucky thirteen, right? And I says, well, Martin, the star of it is going to be uh, on the show, and he, they're like, which. Which one is he? The nice looking one? I said, no, no, the other one. Um, you know, so yeah. <laughs> right. That, that's Martin from 20 years ago, and I've only gotten <laughs> worse looking. Oh, what a Joey! Remember that? Because you look like Joey from Friends. That was your big thing. Right. Back now to- now I get like um, Hugh Grant, like the fat old Hugh Grant. <laughs> well, I don't You're know. You're something, Martin, because I. I've seen Love Actually and a lot of those movies, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh my God, it's Martin. There he is. You, you could get some stunt work or something that way, you know? Right. Leverage that. Yeah, body double stuff. Yeah, you know, doppelganger. That shit. Yeah, you could do that stuff. I mean, you don't have to be Forrest Gump to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe somebody can figure out what my right side is so that I don't look horrible on camera and break the equipment. Uh-huh. Well, tell us, you know, a, a lot of people, like I say, through the years have, have wanted to know your story. And, you know, I don't really respond to, to private information on the emails and whatever. But 
Why don't you tell us your story, Martino? We always just, I always used to call, everybody got a nickname for me when we, they were working out. Martins was D, one of many, but it was Dino Martino, just because. And uh, so tell us, you know, you made your jaunt originally from Poland, then to Canada, then to Chicago. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was born in Poland, but most of my like high school and college years I spent in Canada. And then in 2000, I moved to Chicago and uh, I was like looking for a place to get a good, decent workout with some wrestling because UFC was coming on. It was kind of a popular thing. And I researched a, li a little bit on the internet and I figured I'd uh, go visit Tony. And, you know, I had background at that point, like doing martial arts and stuff, but I like, you know, being 26, I kind of wanted like a workout, you know, that's what was missing from all these martial arts. There was a lot of very fun kind of, um, you know, ceremony to it, but not a lot of sweat and guts. And kind of, that's kind of what I was looking for. And, you know, UFC glorified that a little bit. You could have a lot of hard hitting stuff and there was a little bit now fame attached to it. So I got sucked into that. Um, but then when I came, you know, I was 26 at the time, so um, I wasn't in horrible shape, but it was a total eye opener about how far you could push your fitness with your group of guys, you know, not just uh, the wrestling technique, which I, I had zero experience in, but even just the fitness aspects of it, it was so different and so, uh, so more, so much more um, work to get to a place where you could survive some of the, the wrestling aspects of it. It just much higher requirements. It was very satisfying to see that progression, you know, like I just was getting fitter and fitter. And in 2000 and, um, was it uh, 2001 or two? I, I ran a marathon with zero preparation, just based on the fitness we had from from wrestling. Yeah, you were uh, like the Energizer Bunny. It was it was it was it was a metamorphosis, really, because you were thin, you know, when you came and spindly almost, if you want to say it, and you started to bulk up in a way, but sinewy. You became very strong, and you know, uh, with your tendons and you were like the poster boy of how to do it right. Um, the good attitude. Uh, you were the quiet type in a way, but when you spoke, it was spoke volumes. Um, you know, I, I I guess we could say this might as well. I when you first came in, I'm like, he ain't gonna make it. All right, I you know that. I figured you'd be done one class and you're gone. Um, well, and then point to his to his to that to speak to that. I mean, let's. Why don't you t walk us through a little bit of Martin's first class, either one of you guys, and what that was like for uh, what actually transpired then. Well, let's get it from the horse's mouth. Go ahead, Martin. Well, I, my perspective was very limited. I was just getting beat on and hurt. So, <laughs> you know, at some point I was just not enjoying it very much. But, but again, I, I kind of liked the aspect of being able to struggle as much as possible. And, you know, somebody was just beating the crap out of me. <laughs> Yeah, you took it well. I mean, you know, your your body got accustomed to it because you 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 bruise and uh, yeah, you ended up getting quite bruised, and then you never did again because your body adapts to it. Um, it really does. Yeah, and then through the years, you became um, adept at not just the fitness, but you know the the uh, the, the wrestling or fighting, however you want to label it, and you were. You know, your big thing was the head scissors. For, for some reason, you got good at that, and you focused on that, and you were, you know, you we've had pro fighters come through the gym that could not submit you. Um, you were tough. 
<clears throat> and as far as it not getting submitted, a lot of that was just because of your fitness, but also your toughness. And I'm a firm believer that a lot of people tap out from fear. Okay. They think they're in trouble and you know, you faced a lot of bad stuff, so to speak in your training, you know, and you, and you learned it. Oh, things aren't as bad as they look. So you wrote it out and, you know, and these guys weren't tapping you, but yeah, that was great times, especially when we transitioned over to Triton college um, that, where we filmed for those that you don't know that we filmed the lucky 13 at the Triton college. Um, the worth the weight, the ripping video series over there, uh, the seminar series. And, you know, we, we, we filmed quite a few things at, um, at Triton, but yeah, boy, you were something else. <laughs> you were really fit. Yeah. And, and Tony to walk people through. So, uh, Martin joined us at the original tool and die shop, which was on Mannheim road. Um, you know, in a very nondescript building an industrial building, essentially, uh, a small space that we trained at and, you know, but we trained intensely and we, we made it work. And even within those, those, those limitations in space, I mean, you could still, you could still get a phenomenal workout and, you know, have a strong learning progression, even, even within that. And then I'd only expounded on even, I would say bigger going to Triton when you have an indoor track and a weight room and full size collegiate wrestling mat. I mean, you know, um, but it's it just shows to say you know there's there's really no excuse when it comes to stuff. And to Tony's oh. point, <clears throat> there was also a lot of um, like the coaching was kind of focused on being able to push yourself, right? So, like Tony was saying, there is a lot of times where you think you're done, and that holds true for both wrestling and just doing some fitness exercises. <clears throat> and it's really hard to get yourself self motivated to get past that. But with with the right kind of coaching, with somebody giving you a little bit of a push and telling you, no, you're not done. You know, you screw your body. You're doing this. You're, you're going to get through this. It's not going to hurt you. It's just going to feel like it will. It, it pushes you quicker to better results. Yeah. And it's important that, you know, the coach has to understand, you know, you can't just push somebody until they keel over. Um, and that does happen, you know, uh, and even higher like collegiate uh, uh, issues, you know, collegiate coaching, there's, there, there was football players that, that died from, you know, heat stroke and so on. But you got to really be in tune uh, with the knowledge and with your students because everybody's a little bit different. But, yeah, a lot of it is up here. It's, I remember when, I used, when people used to come through to train with me. they maybe stay for, like, from out of town, four or five days or whatever. And I pretty much guaranteed everyone, you will do a 1,000 squats by the time you leave, you know, just straight, you know, free squats. With the exception of one person – Everybody ended up doing 1,000 squats because it's not like I could make them squat 1,000 pounds. That's an impossibility unless you come to me squatting 990 already. But these reps, these high reps, a lot of it is mental. Um, and as long as you have some fitness, and remember, we were dealing with guys back then that were in their 20s. Uh, most of them were fit, you know, just they weren't fit fit, but they had a base. And I just showed them a few exercises to do to quickly get them uh, up to snuff. But Martin took it at a, you know, a whole nother level, um, which was awesome to see. Yeah, there, there was a, a lot of um, room for like doing things, um, you know, because there, there was just so many exercises. I mean, there's not enough hours in the day to exercise every everything the way you should. 
so Tony was very good about uh, highlighting some of the things that um, are probably a little more bang for your buck, given the limited time. You know, Brian worked, I worked. Brian was like doing two jobs, college. I don't know. I think he worked like a night watchman, so he wasn't even sleeping. Uh, and then I always like had a very good track from Tony about, you know, like if you're going to go to the weight room, maybe, maybe you should focus more on benching because that's like, there's a limited number of pushing exercises that you can do. So focus on benching, maybe do pull-ups, you know, th there was a selection of things that would give you more results. Right, Tony? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I didn't put you on a powerlifting routine or anything like that, but what's your goal, right? So like, if you came to me and said, Hey, I want to be a powerlifting champion. Well, then I would have trained you differently. But your whole focus was self-defense, you know, and, and doing, you know, the, the, the fighting aspect of it. So, yeah, um, you, you came along, like I said, very well. Uh, I, I just can't brag enough about you. And, and through the years, you know, like when Paul Dodds came from England, his big thing was wanting to meet you. You were like his idol. Uh, he just was like blown away by your, uh, your fitness. And, and you made it look so effortless. And it was for you. I mean, Here's what people don't know. They see that lucky 13. Well, we started out at Triton. Our workouts were roughly three hours um, back then, you know, give or take. But we started it off with basically the lucky 13 or a variant of it. Um, and, and that was the warm up. <laughs> that's what was in, you know, that's how fit these guys became that they would start off with this lucky 13 and then go on to, to do all their tech, technical stuff at a high level. That's to me very impressive. Right, there was a track there, and we've actually used it for some sprinting, which is where I discovered that Tony, being ten years older than me, could like lap me on an indoor track. <laughs> well, I used to be a, I used to be a sprinter. You know, like I said, in 1982, I ran a 10.600 meters when the world record was 9.95. You know, I mean, so I, I had that fast twitch. Now I can still run it in 10 10.6, but that's 10 minutes in 60 seconds, you know, <laughs> you have 100 meters. You know? Tony, what's the, since everybody knows, like with the combine, you know, the 50, I mean, what, did you have a, a good number on the 50? Well, well the 40, the 40 yard. 40, um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, remember now, a lot of the combines now are um, electrical timed. When I ran the 30, I got time running the 30, the 40, and then um, we, I, we ran a 50 in a track meet before I ended up pretty much our track team disbanded. But um, I ran a four, three forty and I ran a three, two thirty. Um, and I think I ran a five, four or five, five, 50 yards. No, that's yards. And then um, for the hundred meters for the hundred, it was a hundred meters. I think, Cleveland switched over from yards. I know in 78, it was still 100 yards. So I think in 79 or 80, Cleveland made the switch over to 100 meters. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and I ran two different styles. Like, if I was just going to run the 40, I would do I would do like a space, call me the scooter, because I could just – I would take shorter steps to help me get out of the blocks because I didn't have good coaching. So I just kind of had, like, self-coached. But when I ran 100, then I could start to elongate. Um, and you, my best was actually from the flying start. I had a flying start, you know, like on relays. Uh, man, I, I was like a blaze. So in hindsight, my start from the blocks could have used a lot of improvement. 
Um, I think I told you guys this. They brought in some guy because, my, like I said, my coaches had no clue. So they brought in some older guy. He might have been 22 or something um, or 23. He wasn't that much older. I was 17, and he was a college track guy, sprinter. So my we used to track right across the street, Cuyahoga Community College. And um, so I kind of had this little attitude about myself. And we raced, and I snuffed him. So, like, I didn't want to hear what he had to say, you know, which was kind of silly on my part. I kind of wish I would have picked his brain, but I burned him pretty bad, and that was the first and only time I ever saw the guy. I never saw him back there again, which was fine because our track team pretty much disbanded shortly thereafter anyway. Right. Did you, um, uh, like, you know, we recently had Olympics and they try to focus these days on like human stories and so forth, but track and field is still the most watched event of the Olympics, you know, all the, all the different races. Did you find that like, uh, there is a difference in the technique? Like I'm not, I've never ran track, so I don't watch stuff, but like what you talked about getting out of blocks and things like that, those are things that maybe you could tweak a little bit. Do you, do you notice any difference when people run track now and then when you used to do it? Yeah, well, okay, first, let us that, that's a good question, because right away, you know, the performance-enhancing stuff, and everybody thinks steroids, and, you know, yes, there's still a lot of that, but there's other stuff that these guys do, um, uh, testosterone or insulin, and, you know, you name it, HGH, but even what, taking all of that out of the equation, okay, um, yeah, the, the equipment is quite different, all right, your, your shoes and the synthetic tracks, um, back in the day, like when I was really young and I, I, the first track I ever was taken to was a cinder track. Um, and that'll in a, in a hundred meters, uh, that'll knock off about two to three tenths on your time. So just, so just going to a, a really good synthetic track, um, will knock off two, two or three tenths. Um, and now the track, uh, the, uh, the material is even better. So that has a lot to do with it. But to get to your question as far as um, tweaking things, yeah, the start is is so uh, important. And Usain Bolt, you know, the world record holder, uh, he was 6'5". He was tall for a sprinter. I mean, very, very tall. Right. And he had um, – his only flaw was really the start. And it wasn't – it was just his mechanic. It wasn't his mechanics. It was just, you know, his body structure. You know, you, you got this – big locomotive trying to get it in you know it's all about inertia so he was not the quickest guy but he the middle distance boy you know in that 100 meters about when he hit about 50 60 meters he was gone i mean the guy was just incredible and then um your reflexes too you know that's another avenue that um you can improve on always to get get a quicker start out of that block um they have uh, sensors, okay, and they've determined, and I forgot what the figure is right now, um, one-tenth of a second or something like that, they figured that's the, the absolute peak limit of human reaction time. So if legally you would go, let's say, 0.08, and you do take off before the, the, the or after the starting gun, they'll still blow you for a false start um, because they think you're anticipating the gun. And you just got lucky, let's say. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, track continues to improve in, in certain things. 
Matter of fact, just two days ago, the 100 meter ladies record that Flo Florence Griffin Joyner holds at 10.49 almost fell. I think um, she ran, the new girl ran 10.54. So that's amazing. And um, that may actually be the fastest time ever by a woman because there's some controversy with Florence Griffiths Joyner's time. Many people in the track world believe that it was wind aided. Um, and that because everywhere around that track when she was running, there was a lot of wind. But during her sprint, the the wind gauge showed 0, 0.00. All right. Now, how that's kind of freaky. Um, so there is a chance that that record was really not 1049. I mean, it was 1049, but wind aided. But it's still the official record. But doggone it, man, this, this girl over the weekend almost almost blew past it. Yeah, the uh, Saint Bolt to me, like you mentioned, he was it's just such an amazing uh, presence on track because he was like dominant for 16 years, and it's almost unheard of that somebody would be you know getting lucky for 16 years. There's just something about his frame that really made it possible. Uh, and well, I, know, to your point, like he was getting faster when you watched him sprint. He could run the 400 too. I mean, that was that was the thing when he was in his peak. Personally, I'm I I thought. Hey, is this guy going to make a crack at the 400 meters too? Um, naturally, he would have. I don't assume that he would have won the gold in that, but you know, he a third or fourth place finish would have been a, un, unheard of. But yeah, he was just, um, you know, he started as a junior, uh, and so he had a junior world record, which I believe was just broken re this year. Um, but as far as his uh, world record, and it. That's going to stand for a while, I think. Um, I really do. I, I think it's going to stand for a bit. But who knows? I could be wrong. But these guys are at a whole nother level than, you know, than when I ran and the sprinters, the world-class sprinters of, of my time. Um, Off-peak, uh, in my day, if you ran a 10-3, 10-2, 100 meters, um, you were still considered world-class. Uh, off season, you know, off peak. Uh, now, I mean, you wouldn't even qualify with that time. Right. Um, also, one of the other things that I remember you uh, doing a lot of was, um, uh, you know, weightlifting, like bench press. And like, I remember some of the things that um, you would do would be like, you know, you, you would get your bench up to a pretty impressive level. And then these like random records of, you know, holding a hammer this way and that way, or, you know, holding it upside down for X many seconds. They seem very trivial because and there's only so many people doing it. And those are not the people that are actually getting basic weight lifting scores up there. Um, you know, so do, do you think that um, over the time that you've been benching and doing stuff like that, do you have any like tips and techniques on how to continuously improve it? Well, I, yeah, see, and that, I, I got into the sledgehammer lifts and stuff. It, it, it was kind of trivial, trivial even to me because I lifted for um, like more just brute strength. And I remember one guy, and this is not knocking the kettlebells, but he brought over this kettlebell to, to Triton. And, uh, you know, he showed me all the, you know, how they do it. And I literally just curled it and just pressed it overhead. It was, it's just too light. And he was impressed by that. He's like, holy how well that's because i trained in two ways i trained top and bottom so i wanted to have a high single rep 
but I also wanted to have that muscular endurance at the bottom end, um, especially when it comes into play for fighting. So, uh, yeah, let's say I do a heavy triple in, 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 in you know, my workout today, but I would finish it with uh, a burn set, as I used to call it, and Kevin and I would call it that, just to flush the muscles, man, uh, with that blood. So we're talking high reps, 25, 35, and sometimes I would have an off day when I, I just didn't feel like going heavy, and I would just do heavy re- uh, a lot of reps, 50, 60 reps. Um, so in essence, guys, I benched. I did seated overhead presses, like behind the neck um, from about the ears on up, uh, curls, uh pull-ups, you know, or chin-ups, just get that push-pull muscle stuff going, um, work my grip, of course, and, uh, you know, those were the, and we had that neck machine later on at the, at the uh, our last gym, but yeah, I just wanted the core muscles that, you know, uh, that you use in fighting, you know, you don't use flies, you know, like a, that's a bodybuilding thing, you know, nothing wrong with it, but that's not going to help you in a fight. No core length, no beach muscles? Yeah, I, well, I set that world record in a strict curl. You were there, I think, when I was working out at Triton. Yeah, the, my curls, the arms are the most important thing. You know, because right. we use the most for grabbing and holding. So once you get a hold of somebody, they're not, they're not going to get out, or they're going to have to struggle, 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 and then you then you release it, and and now they're kind of gassed, and you can play with them, and you can tap them out at will. So yeah, curls, bench, overhead presses. Um, you know, just you want, and your core, you, I couldn't do squats because of my legs, you know, I mean, because of my back. Uh, so I didn't do that, but I did a lot of ab work at, um, especially at, in Stone Park. Uh, we had the, uh, triceps, you were always big on pushdowns, uh, the application toward heavy bench and even fighting, just hitting the top wrist lock, those, those micro motions, a few inches and, and how that really translates, I recall. Yeah, those are called assistance work. I did heavy, heavy pushdowns and um, pushdowns like this and in reverse. Um, and a lot of weighted dips. Dips really helped me. Um, and I was doing dips with a lot of weight, more than my body weight. Um, Marvin Eater, who was a legendary bodybuilder and, and strength athlete back in the 40s and 50s, he was the guy who was the king of doing weighted dips. Um yeah, you, you just want to have that kind of raw strength. Uh, it it helps you with your technique. It really does. People think, oh, big, strong guys have no technique, but it's actually the opposite. That's just a way to bash big guys. But when, you, when your body is so finely tuned like a horse, like a racehorse, where you have all this power, yet you have all this speed, you're really something. Now, I'm not sitting here saying become, you know, uh, muscle-bound and, you know, all you do is heavy lifting. It has to be a balance. But like you said, Brian, the pushing like this, even when you're going into a top wrist locker or whatever move it is, um, man, when you when you know that you can do this and not fatigue or just have the strength to move a guy who may outweigh you by 100 plus pounds, man, it, that, that really helps your confidence. So I, I still do um, some benching. Uh, usually pretty standard type of, you know, sets going towards something heavy. Uh, I'm going to try to move to doing a little more of like what you were saying, like go high reps to the flushing <laughs> stuff. Um, what about like bent over rows, right? Like the, 
the thinking is that bent over rows are kind of the reverse of a bench. You kind of do the pooling thing. Uh, do you subscribe to that? Is, is there anything better that you could do? Well, seated rows too, but yeah, bent over rows, you know, especially with a barbell, it's fine. It's an excellent exercise. You know, again, the only reason I didn't do it is because, you know, it, it, it hurt my back. It hurt my low back to bend over like that. Um, I could deadlift. Deadlift was no problem. Uh, squats, no. Even like when we would wrestle and repeatedly wrestle, you know, like drilling, you know, when you got that collar and elbow tie up, just the guy's weight pressing down, compressing me, um, compressing my spine, and man, I'd be in a lot of pain. So you can't like just go by what exactly I did because I had to work around my injuries. But bent over rows are are fantastic. Uh, very good exercise. Okay. And then for, um, you know, you said uh, pull-ups, which again, excellent stuff. Anything else that, you know, people might want to use as an alternative? Well, lat pull-downs, you know, you can use a lat pull-down machine if you have access to it. Um, and, and, and chin-ups. And then again, with, for the wrestling, for the fighting, the pull-ups and chin-ups, if you if you hold them in the lockout position where your arms are fully extended, and then and then you also hold them when your chin's above the bar for time, that's that helps your endurance because unlike a unlike a bench press where you can just take off weight until in essence you're benching the bar, which is 45 pounds, you can't really do that on a pull-up or a chin-up. You can't cheat unless you're using a uh, some sort of a machine. So you know, you can't do 50 reps of a chin-up if, if, you know, at the end of your workout, if you're not capable of doing 200 to begin with or whatever. So, yeah, locking it out either way uh, in a chin-up position and a pull-up position and um, doing it when your uh, chin is above the bar is really important because, um, you know, let's say somebody's behind you and you're, they're trying to choke you, you know, and you, you block it, you have your hands up to, to try to like block your, uh, your thing, you know, so they can't get the choke on, you know, you're not going to fatigue, <laughs> you know, he's going to tire trying to get your arms down before you do. So it has a very practical street or competition aspect to it. And yeah, and you're working your tendons, which will help, you know, in defeating arm bars. Yeah, that was the thing I remember, Tony, that was, you know, when I first met you, this was in the 90s, right before Martin connected with all of us is your tendon strength. And, you know, I was a decent jujitsu guy. I mean, I wasn't world class, but putting an arm bar on you, it, it essentially wouldn't work uh, even, you know, with the right technique because you had developed so much through the tendons, through heavy curls and lockouts on the bench, full extensions and the static holds, like you were mentioned, because, you know, the integrity all around the joint with the muscle uh, was just was just so so solid. So I do recall that. Obviously, that takes months, years to acquire. But I mean, there's there's obviously other ancillary benefits just to do those exercises as well, just beyond submission defense. Yeah, that's the thing that most people just don't do, and they don't get. They're like, oh, I can arm. People may say, well, I can armbar anybody. Well, not really, no. Um, but I work. Uh, I was trained as a young kid to specifically work my tendons without the without weight equipment. Okay, because I didn't have access to that. Um, to make yourself, uh, you know, basically submission, you know, impervious to, to, to most submissions and uh, chokes as well. And, you know, we did special exercises, as you remember, to, to develop your choke uh, resistance. 
And, uh, you know, Brian, you were up to the, to a point where you could go 45 seconds to a minute and not get choked out. I mean, after that, you'd go out. But, um, you know, you these are things that can be developed. Just because they don't see it on YouTube or see it in the UFC or something like that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Come to train with me. You'll learn all this stuff, guys and gals. <laughs> The other thing that, you know, I keep asking with this slant because we're all getting older and there's things that you can and can't do. And I've done like a bunch of um, CrossFit classes before COVID because now it's, you know, the gyms are kind of still screwed up. And one of the um, things they would do for scaling a pull-up is they would, you know, wrap this like rubber band on a pull-up bar and then people would put their foot in it. And I found it kind of ridiculous because you could game it and, and have it basically slingshot you up. But, but the other thing that they would um, do, which I was really a little more in tune is, was they would say, well, if you can't do a pull-up, screw the pull-up, do push-up variations because you can kind of build up the same, some of the same muscles that way. Um, you know, do, do you have any like pull-ups, uh, sorry, push-up variations that are probably a little more bang for your buck again? Well, I don't agree with the push-up pull-up uh, thing, but remember, we were going to do that push-up book. I, this was at Triton and we took a bunch of pictures. I don't know whatever happened to it, but you know, yeah, I, I think I came up with like, I don't know, there was like 30 or 40 different variations. It's hard for me. I can't really describe any of it here. Uh, and most of the people are listening to this, probably not watching it on YouTube, but much of it is your hands and your arm position. Okay. And how you position that. Um, so push-ups can be very good, but you have to watch that you don't injure your shoulders and um, you don't injure your back. If you're heavy set, way overweight, you got to be really careful. I knew a guy when I was about, I think I met him when I was like 20 or 21. He was not an athlete. He was a musician, as a matter of fact. And he was at least my mom's age, right around there. So if he's still alive, I've lost touch. He'd be in his 80s. But... When he was a young kid, um, he was overweight, and he, he did push-ups, and he blew his back out. And it never recovered, never, never, never. And the last I heard of him was uh, maybe 20 years ago, and he still had back problems. And, and that would have put him at about 60 years of age. So he had about 40, 45 years of you know, back pain issues. Now, for the pull-ups or the chin-ups, either one, what I would suggest people do is negatives. So like you get on a chair or whatever it is, so you're, uh, your chin's above the bar already, right? Again, it doesn't matter if it's a chin-up or a pull-up. And then you just lower yourself, okay? You slowly lower yourself. That's a negative rep. Then get back on the chair, pull your, you know, get, make sure you're above the bar, and lower yourself again. And do sets of this, okay, just like you would anything else. Maybe 10 reps or, uh, yeah three sets or four sets of 10 reps. Um, and then little by little, start increasing the reps or uh, get a weighted belt and just uh, add a little bit of weight, five pounds, 10 pounds, whatever, just to do the negative. On, and all of a sudden, you're going to see yourself being able to do the positive reps too. Because that's, that's another thing. Kevin and I used to do the weighted chins, you know, and pull-ups. We would do full-length uh full range of motion with added weight because um, just doing the reps got monotonous. We could do quite a lot. Today, there's a phenomenon going on where all these people are doing these crazy, ridiculous amounts of chin-ups or pull-ups. 
and uh, they're doing a lot of impetus. They're kicking, they're like frog kicking. You know, it's like like you said, gaming the system. Some of these people are gaming the system. There, you don't you don't want to do that. You want to use good form, for sure. You just do. Yeah, that, that's a CrossFit thing. They do uh, different uh, ways to do using their momentum to swing into pull-ups, and they'll do like a hundred. Yeah, whatever. I'm not, but it, I'm it's a, not right. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, no, I'm not knocking CrossFit. If that's your thing, go for it. But yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not into that. You know, it, it doesn't pertain to my lifestyle. Um, so I, I just want to do things that are really, really, really going to produce, um, you know, pure strength. Now, with the push-ups, ultimately, you want to be able to do handstand push-ups, okay, where you're using your body weight. And, and that's another thing that you can gradually progress to, okay? So you do the floor push-ups, okay? Then you put your feet not on the floor. You put them, let's say, on a chair, Okay, so now you're like maybe horrors, your feet are here and your your head is lower and you do your push-ups that way. And then get a ladder and start putting your feet higher and higher up, up, up on that ladder, okay, until you're pretty much almost on the top rung. And uh, if you don't have the balance to stand on your on your hands, get somebody to hold your ankles uh, or do a back, you know, do like a backflip. I showed us on the routine video series or the videotape um, or DVD now. Or digital download, <laughs> however, I mean, time marches on. So that's the ultimate is to be able to do handstand push-ups because you're now using your whole body weight. Um, when I did that 60-second push-up record, uh, I had a routine that I used, and I actually used the bench press to, to really help me with that um, development. And I used to send that out to people. Um, I think I probably still have it somewhere. If you don't, if you want a copy, if I can find it, I'll email it over to you, Martin. But uh, that'll really, really help with your explosiveness. Yeah, I, I think you know this um, stuff with um, CrossFit is focused on kind of gymnastic movements because they also do they'll do keeping pull-ups and they'll do like keeping handstand push-ups. Uh, but they've done, like, I, I took a couple classes there, and, you know, I was old at the time, so I couldn't really do a lot of the movements that they were trying to teach. <laughs> One of the other things they did is they would do, uh, like, a, uh, you, you start off with your feet on the wall, and you walk your hands back up towards the wall, trying to touch your nose to the wall. And I found that to be very strenuous. Like, it would really tire me out just doing, like, a couple of those. Even though it was kind of slow-paced, and there wasn't much, there wasn't any keeping or momentum involved. It was a tiring movement. Good. Uh, I, I thought that one was a, was a good one. Yeah, uh, sounds did, good. Did you ever um, see, like, uh, you know, from your days training with uh, Radvan, what, what did he do? Like, what kind of exercises did he do as part of his workouts? You know, minus all the, the strongman stuff where he would perform. Like, what was the more routine stuff that he did? Yeah, he would, he would do a lot of the body weight exercises, squats, breathing exercises, you know, a lot of different push-ups. Um, he would do pull-ups, or in his case, well, pull-ups and chin-ups, but he would do it, he didn't have a bar, so um, he had, you know how you have woodwork over your doorway back in the older houses? He would just get just his fingertips up on there and just do the chin-ups or pull-ups that way with four fingers and then three fingers and then two fingers and then one finger. You talk about, I mean, that's incredible. Uh, and, and remember, this guy was, you know, let's call him in his 70s at the time. 
you know, um, and I saw him doing all of this. And he did a lot of thick. He would grab things that were thick. But that was strictly um, to work his keep his grip going. Uh, so, for example, I tell people that I saw that it was a big fad. I don't know if it still is, but to like do everything with a thick handle barbell, right? Do curls, do your bench, you know, do deadlifts, whatever. And I would do it, but not, I wouldn't bench really with a thick handle. I would like uh, grab a dumbbell. Kevin made, we made a dumbbell with a huge thick ass uh, handle on it. But that's strictly for your grip because you're not like, okay, so for example, I guess, I guess I'm, I'll, I'll use an example here. I'll make something up, uh, numbers. So let's say that you can curl a 100-pound dumbbell, okay? Um, let's say you can do five reps. Well, now because you're using that thick handle, well, you're not going to do that 100 pounds because your grip won't hold it. You might only do 40 pounds, right? So you're, you're um, uselessly tiring your biceps, right, because um, you're curling 40 pounds which, you know, if you're a 100-pound curler, curling 40 is probably not going to be in your, um, you know, in your rep scheme. So I think people have to understand that I, you know, I think you should work your grip completely separate from, you know, the other major muscle groups. And be careful with your grip. Don't, don't overtrain it by doing so many variations. Um, and work your fingers. That's another thing. Rodman did special finger exercises because there's a world of difference between a handshake grip and bending coins like he could do. Um, that's come down. That's coming down to your fingers, your finger strength, which I don't. I'm out of the loop. I don't go on the internet for this stuff, but I don't know how many people are training their fingers. But I, I discussed all that stuff with you guys in the past. I showed you the gloves, you know, the special finger lifting gloves and everything, and um, that we made it. That's, that's all important stuff. I remember one of the really boring exercises that I saw you do was you would take a chain with a weight and then you would roll it up. And it would take a long time, but, you know, the, based on the length of the chain and the weight attached to it, it would be really tiring. I mean, I've tried it a few times, but you just sit there and you roll it up and it increases your grip strength. Yeah, um, your forearms. Yeah, that's a wrist roller. Yeah, those forearms will get a burn. Um, yeah, that works, you know. Uh, crumbling up a newspaper, uh, squeezing a ball is okay, but you know, that gets to be, you know, redundant. Um, those captains of crush grippers, grippers are great. We all had them. Um, they're, they're not, I, I, it, how can I say it? I re I recommend them first and foremost, but remember your hand size makes a big difference. Okay. I know, I know guys who, who truly have a, world-class grip, but they're not very good at the, at the captains of crush because it doesn't fit in their hand. Right. Okay. Um, whereas if you're bench pressing, you can adjust, you can make some adjustments. Okay. If your arms are longer, you can go a little bit wider or narrower, whatever the case may be, depending on your body structure, but the captains of crush or any kind of hand gripper, you're, you know, you're kind of screwed there. So as we're talking, I, I can't help but think about because, um, you know, I'll follow different things in YouTube and different trends. And you've got things like Wim Hof breathing now, which is a big thing, which is a you know specialized progression of breathing uh, by a, a Scandinavian gentleman that kind of paved that um, calisthenics athletes. You know, there's competitions doing incredible things, obviously CrossFit, which is a major combination of of uh, 
compound lifting and calisthenics or, or plyometrics. And, and uh, I mean, Tony, as we're talking, this is stuff we were doing at least some variation of 20 years ago. You know what I mean? And that's not to say that you thought it was like, the you know, you were the first to ever do it, but I mean, is anything new under the sun is what I say, you know? Yeah. I think it's just marketing, man, you know, packaging it right. Um, yeah. We don't know anything about that. I, I'm not a marketing guy. Uh, I wish I was, I would have been a multimillionaire by now, but yeah, you're right. Uh, you just have to be careful with, with some of this because you don't want to hurt yourself and you, you want to make continual progress. And like Martin brought up, and this is a very important thing when you're using momentum, um, how can I put, how can I articulate this properly? Uh, are you really improving your fitness or your strength or what have you, or are you just better able now to manipulate your momentum? Okay. And so if you're a little tired today, you may not have that momentum kick, but maybe if you're energized, oh my, now you're doing all this momentum shit and, and you're really not improving your fitness. You're just, you know, getting better at using the, the trick. So uh, you don't have that ability when you're doing raw strength stuff. Okay. Like a powerlifting or curls or even curls, you can really arch your back and, you know, and cheat, right? Um, not when you're doing the strict curl, when you have to get your back up against the wall. It's pure muscle, baby. Um, so that's another thing to monitor. Are, are, you know, are you finding ways? I like Martin's word, gaming. Are you finding better ways to game the system? We also, um, you know, when uh, we were wrestling a lot, you, you said that basically instead of doing any other uh, cardiovascular exercise, we should just wrestle. And that was absolutely the right advice because that's what we we're trying to get better at. Uh, but, you know, now as we get older and so forth and, you know, like uh, you know, wrestling as a way of uh, getting your cardio exercise is not necessarily available. Um, what other things would you say are worth doing? I remember you had like a mini tram. Um, that was kind of like your thing that I, I saw you do. But, you know, we, we also did, I used to run a lot. Running is kind of destructive though. I don't, I don't really... Yeah. I wouldn't advise it to anybody else. Like I, I got all kinds of like small problems, but when I go to the doctor, they're like, no, you didn't get injured. Nothing happened to you. It's just wear and tear. Um, something that you would suggest that minimizes the wear and tear, but yeah, provides that, cardio. Well, like, see, I had, I had shin splints from track. And as you guys know, when we were practicing um, shin locks or anything, man, all you guys had to do is just grab me by, with, with the thumb. And, you know, I'm in incredible pain. And that was 20-some years after I had quit running track. And it, it'll never go away. So that's why I use the trampoline for me, the mini tramp, because um, there's, you know, no impact for me, you know. Uh, so, yeah, the running can be you, – you have to have two things. If you're going to run, you want to have the, the absolute best shoes that you can afford. And if you don't have the money for the shoes, don't run. You know, borrow the money or get a second job just to get those $200 or $300 shoes and then run on a good surface. Um, like recently when I started to go to the gym, I was doing um, treadmill, just walking on the treadmill. And you know what? Just walking on that damn treadmill, my back started to hurt. Not the first day, not the first week, but by the second week I felt it. So I'm like done with that. Because the treadmill is just, that's hard plastic, man. It, it, there's no give. Um, so 
when I used to walk, uh, I used to like to walk on people's grass. I hate to say it, but um, you know, just something where there's some cushion. So the impact is right, uh, uh, Martin. The running itself isn't what injures you. It's that it's that doggone impact. Um, and all the five metrics that we, all of us did, the jumping, we had a cushion surface. Uh, even at the two, the last place I had in Bensonville, that floor would give because it was a wooden floor. It wasn't solid concrete. It was wood. And we were on a second floor. And, there, you know, you have the girders underneath. So that floor would give. And on, and on top of it, we had the, those wrestling mats. So I felt no impact there. Um, but yeah, it's, it was that, that trampoline for me was out of necessity. Cause even when I went to a health club and ran on their, their track, I felt it in my back. So, um, what was the rest of your question? I know that, that one. Maybe alternatives, you know, like for, I find that like doing burpees on a good cushion surface is a lot less, um, impactful to my joints, but I get a good cardio yeah. workout out of it. Burpees are great. Cycling. Um, as long as you're using good form with your cycling, uh, that's really good. And if you're going to cycle, just don't monotonously do it. Um, do your intervals. Because you know me, I was always big on the interval training. You know, sprint and then let's call it sprint jog on the uh, bicycle. Sprint, 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 jog, jog, jog. You know, if you can work up for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, one minute of, of a top burst, man, great. So yeah, cycling uh, is is a really good alternative. Uh, jumping rope uh, or jumping jacks. Again, if you have that uh, cushion surface, it's all about that surface. Uh, I, I recommend getting these trampolines. They're they're great. Uh, they're not expensive. Those mini tramps, and you can do all this. I used to run in place. You know, I would bring my knees up like as high as I could. I wouldn't bounce. You know, I wouldn't use a trampoline to bounce. I would use it to lessen the impact of uh, coming down on your uh, on your footwork there. So I would bring my knees up as high as I could. Um, and boy, you talk about getting a workout. And then, of course, moving your arms too. You know, bring them way past your your ears, uh, like you're saluting. You know, like you like you wish you were Italian and had good hair like me, and you're you're sliding your arm across the side of your head. Okay, that's the kind of movement you want. And I had a lot of practice with that because I always had thick hair. You should know that, uh, Martin. That's right. You're, just, you're still completely dark. And I thought it'd be mm -hmm. fake, but I noticed that Bruce is completely dark too. So it yeah. must be just me. I'm just falling apart. No, you look good. You look like Joe Cardinal now with that hair. You know, I, matter of fact, I got to get a haircut this coming week. But, you know, as you get older and everybody's body is different, and I'm glad we brought this up. One of the things about Kevin and why I thought he was the greatest is he was an unknown. Um, nobody knew him. Um, we worked out. He won the Missouri and Illinois State Bench Press Championships when he was like 50, 51. But when he was 70, I, I saw him the day before he got killed. Um, we were together at the gym. And he was the exact same physique. Now, granted, he wasn't a Mr. Universe. But he had big, solid arms. There was not an ounce of flab on this guy. And he looked the same as he did when he was 50 and he was 70. Uh, you look at some some guys that were phenomenal bodybuilders, let's say, in their prime. And when they get older, they lose all this size. They get real scrawny. And, you know, it almost looks like, you know, you know they never worked out. But 
Kevin wasn't like that. And, and I don't, I want to be just like that too. I want to always have my size. And I think the benefit is because I wasn't a bodybuilder or a champion powerlifter like that, you know, and put on all this, let's say fake weight, you know, like bulking up. Uh, I never got gigantic. You know, I, I had eight, I think my, the biggest my arms were ever were like about 19 inches when I did the, um, worth the weight. That's when I set the strict curl world record. So that was about the biggest 18 and three quarters or something or 19. I mean, that's to me, not gigantic. Um, so I think I'm about 18 and a quarter now. I mean, I could probably bulk up and get it to 18 and a half, but I'm like 10 pounds lighter. So I want to keep my, my fitness, you know, I, I don't want to set world records or lift, you know, crazy weight, but I, I want to be, you know, in the ballpark. And, and Kevin inspired me because, uh, you know, he was roughly 20 years older than me, 18 years older. And man, the guy was just, even if he would not lift for a while, like six, eight months because of just his job, he'd lose some strength, but he, he'd gain it back in a few months, man. It's just, so I, I said, yeah, if he could do it, oh, I can do it, you know. So, yeah, you and I, all of us, we were always totally natural. We never took any side stuff. We took some supplements. I took on um, protein, a lot of protein powder. Uh, for a while, I took, when it came out, creatine, creatine uh, probably around 98, 99. And then I got off of it. And, and literally, I, I didn't notice any difference. Um, so I never took it again. And I just sometimes take a vitamin. I, I should be back on my vitamins. I haven't been taking that. It's a multivitamin. But I want us to be natural. You know, what happens if you're if you're all drugged up, you know, and now you're dependent on that stuff. And life gets in the way or finances change or just whatever. You know, now you, you shrill up. You lose all your size and strength or most of it. Man, I don't want to be like that. You know, yeah, I remember I, you... Yeah, go ahead, Tony. No, I'm done. Go ahead. Now, I, re I remember you turned down some people from participating in our gym because they were known to be um, taking a lot of supplements and, you know, some of them were of questionable legality. Yeah. But you were always saying that, like, I don't know what these guys are going to do. They're not in control of their own bodies. Like, they're just jacked up. And, you know, you didn't want, for safety purposes, you didn't want those kinds of people in our gym. Right, because you're at risk. You are as the, as the training partner, Okay. Um, I don't want a person who's willing to risk their own life and risk their own health um, to get bigger or stronger or whatever. If they don't care enough about their own health and welfare, I sure as hell don't think they're, they're going to care about you. That's my take. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm always about safety. And I love you guys. And I want you guys to be as good as you can be for as long as you can be. And now remember, I was around a guy, Radvan, who um, was in his 70s, I, he, 69 when I started with him, um, who was still doing feats of strength. And he, there was no drugs involved with him. And then Kevin, you know, he was nowhere near as strong as Rob Bond, but, you know, he had no uh, drugs in his system and shit. We're all natural. I'm, I'm harping here on preaching, but for those of you who want to do it, go ahead. Um, you know, I know that... Uh, if I did TRT, you know, test, you know, testosterone replacement therapy, I'm sure it would help me. Um, it would probably give me a lot of energy and all of this, but I don't want to do it. I, I heard you become dependent on it. Um, 
Kevin's cousin through marriage, I don't think you guys ever met him, Bill. He used to play college football. I think he may have played one year in a USFL or Canadian Football League or something. I'm not sure. But um, he was like, uh, what was I going to say about him, Bill? Uh, Did he take TRP? No, no. But he was like, you know, yeah, he was another one who was anti you know, anti-steroids and anti, you know, all of this, all of that kind of stuff. But, oh, no, I know what it was. I know what it, he was. This is back when I was benching really big. Um, he told me, and it's all theory, theoretical, but he's like, man, if you would do a few cycles of the shit, he said, you'd be, you'd probably be benching close to 600 pounds. Now, that blew my mind because I trusted what he would say. Uh, and I'm thinking, 600 and he probably was right, or I would have gotten close. Because I was I benched 480, so we're talking about putting on a, roughly 100 pounds. Yeah. It, no way, man. That's not me now. It, that's Tony no longer exists. It's some freak. All right? I can't bench 600. You know, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, with the drugs and stuff, the drugs are doing it. You know, so I couldn't live like that, man. It's It's like, you know, it's all bullshit to me, but everybody's different. Some people don't care. They just want to say they did it. Um, I just wasn't one of those people. Speaking of world records, and I forgot about the strict uh, curl record, but I do remember that you had the world record for Pac-Man for a brief oh. period of time. And you know, when that movie King of Kong came out, I spent like a lot of time on the internet trying to find your name and I did find it and I wish I had saved it because it's like internet is moving all the time things get scrubbed out dropped deleted but I did find a place that had your name in it like as you know they had a chronology of these record holders wow yeah two million seven hundred twenty nine thousand two hundred and eighty but ah who cares uh, <laughs> yeah when I well yeah Billy Mitchell who I guess they ended up taking his records uh because he kind of gamed the system in a way that's right. Uh, he got like a perfect Pac-Man, but you got to understand. And there was other guys that did it. So my record legitimately was broken. But uh, well, I was just a kid. You know, I was like, I think I started Pac-Man when I was like 16, you know, and I had to find the time between training and everything else and, you know, doing some side jobs just so I can get the quarters, you know, to, to put them in it to Mr. Heroes so I could practice and shit. Um you know, that, that took a lot of money. I, I'd like to, I wish I knew how much I spent on that, but a lot back then. But Tony, there's multimillionaire kids now uh, from esports. So if you ever want to change careers and you got some aptitude, it sounds like maybe that's something you could do. <laughs> hey, do you guys remember, like, I know Martin was at the house. We had a UFC at my old apartment and I built that controller, the joystick controller and shit. And I got that main emulator, which is the exact thing it's exact uh arcade games and i practiced for a while and i was able to get up over a million and i'm sure i got a million in front of you guys at my house uh at my apartment then but yeah no those days have gone past me buddy my memory isn't so good anymore but i just don't have the patience to do it that that whole main thing like basically corrupted the record setting business because people have been able to alter MAME to the point of making the record breaking easier. So now there's records that are set on the actual machine versus on MAME. They're not interchangeable. Well, gaming the system. What, what, yeah, gaming the system. What Billy Mitchell did, at least one of the things, I, I don't know if he's an outright cheat, but I read in an interview that he said that he had access to a Pac Man machine. This is back in the 80s. 
and he had the uh, I don't know if it was the the guy, the, the, you know, the arcade guy or whatever, but if I remember correctly, there was a way that he could switch it or just started it at the ninth key, okay, which for those of you who don't know Pac-Man, that was the mystery. How do you get past that ninth key? And so he just completely had a, you know, he just could forego all that other shit and start right at the ninth key over and over, and he didn't have to pay for this, right? And he was just practice, 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 so it's kind of like an unfair advantage. Um, so, like, when you're in a game room setting with a lot of other people or wherever you're at, and you start from the very beginning, anything can happen. Anything can distract you or the joystick. A lot of times that was the main thing. You'd have a mal malfunction with the joystick. You know, I, you didn't blow it. The joystick did. But, yeah, I, I guess there's, there's, yeah, you're right. I heard that there's a lot of fraudulence uh, that went down. And there's some other games, too, where there, the records have come into question. Yeah, it's very subtle. They inject more time between the frames so that you have your reaction time versus how quickly things actually happen is, is, is a better ratio now, which yeah, is all bullshit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, I don't, I don't follow any of that. I mean, I, 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 mean I, I don't even shoot pool as much as I should, you know. Um, but, yeah, those were the days, and that was fun. I mean, you know, I could walk into an um, arcade, you know, and get my high score up there. And people would think, what the hell, you know, what's, what's this, you know, the guy's turning the machine over and shit, but uh, yeah, it was pretty cool back then when you were a kid, you know, that was like, you know, that was cloud celebrity. Over the internet. That was your clout. Yeah, they're what right. I mean, cloud. we're talking that 1981 and 1982. I won that Pac-Man championship in 82. I was a senior in high school. So yeah, 82. And um, I was nervous as hell because I ended up, I think I was actually the only, the only kid that made it to the finals or it made it to this level. And it was like more adults. And how that went was you had a, a time limit. I, I don't remember now if you were allowed just to, yeah, you, there was a time limit and it was a very short time limit, like three or four minutes and how many points you could get in the shortest amount of time and this and that, something like that. And then, you progressed. Okay, that was that, that would get get you out of the qualifying rounds because otherwise it could take all day and all night. So then finally, I went head to head with this guy, and I beat him. This was at a Chuck E. Cheese, so I won like a bike, I won a jacket, a ski ski coat, all these tokens. Um, so then after that, since I won the Pac-Man tournament, then I was able to just play a Pac-Man game on my own and go for whatever. And um, that's when I cracked two million. It took me a while. Like I don't remember how long, two and a half hours maybe or something. It was a while. Um, yeah, 2.7 million. That was pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was pretty cool. And then, guess what? Two weeks later, I go to see my friend who lived in Maple Heights, Ohio, suburb of Cleveland. And they had a game room there. They had a Chuck E. Cheese. And they wouldn't let me in. I'm like, I'm the Pac-Man world champion. Because you knew how to count cards, Tony. They wouldn't no, let you. No, I wasn't. I wasn't freaking that. No, I was like, <laughs> they, you had to be 18 or have a have a parent with you, okay? And I was 17. It was like a technicality. I mean, like, this is like April or something, right? I'm like, I'm going to be 18 in June. I'm the world record holder. Let me in. I just, I got. Look at, look at this bag of tokens I got. <laughs> they wouldn't let me in. <laughs> um, but I got pretty good. 
Tony, uh, what was so there's obviously, you know, adults now, middle-aged people that are in the gaming or, or what what was like the oldest do you think are when you say you were a kid but there were adults? What are we talking? Guys in their 20s, were guys in their 30s even on uh, big in the arcades back then or what? Okay, so in my tournament, um there was the guy that I went up against was in his 30s, but there was a guy named Ken Houston who who was a gambler, um, card player. And he actually was, and he wrote a book on Pac-Man. And he was on the Merv Griffin show for, for those people who remember that. And he demonstrated Pac-Man. Now I don't remember what his high score was, but it wasn't much. I mean, it was like 270, 280 or something like that, 280,000, which, you know, that's still respectable. But he was in his 40s, okay, um, I'm assuming. he Because I remember a gray beard and all of that shit. But, yeah, so you had these um, – I would think there was a lot more older people back then than we're even aware of because of gambling. All right. This is just another avenue for them to fleece the kids because uh, believe me in the world of pool, uh, they didn't care if you were 16, 17, 18 years old, you can walk it into a pool hall. uh, Your ass is grass. They're going to try to take you for every little penny you have. So I never got hustled in, in a game room because, you know, I was like, I learned at Mr. Heroes, so it was just me and Man Beck that owned Mr. Heroes, who was a Korean and who was a seventh degree or eighth degree black belt. Uh, in, in they did a system called Kido, K-I-D-O, which was basically Taekwondo, Hapkido, I'm, I'm assuming. And him and his brother Moon Beck owned Ohio Black Belt Academy. So I didn't get hassled. But by the time I would go to game rooms and shit, I was the best in there. So nobody was going to try to hustle me, but I'm assuming that, you know, gamblers said, Hey, this is a chance for us to practice at this shit, get good at it and, and fleece these people. So yeah, there was probably some, a lot of old, old timers. Um, I remember I went to see my dad, which I never saw my dad. Really. I never saw my dad until I was 17 years old. But after that visit, I went down to see him in Pennsylvania, and we went to this bar, and the owner of the bar was a Pac-Man aficionado. And he had a co- and he was in his he was my dad's age, so in his 40s at the time, and he had a cocktail table model, you know, where you sit down, you know, and um so we played, and I no, well, you know, he he wasn't there. I could yeah, he couldn't keep up with me. So then he's like, Well, I want you to play without the patterns. I'm like, all right, fair enough. So we play without the patterns, and there's tricks to Pac-Man. You can hide, you can hide him, and the ghosts can't eat him, right? So I did that just to show off, and I put him in there, and I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. <laughs> I didn't have to go to the bathroom, but I was kind of showing off, and I left it there, and you know, went to the bathroom, and then talked to a few people, and I came back, and he's like, all right, I'm done with you, kid. You know. Um, so yeah, that was I had fun with Pac-Man, but you know, I'd rather shoot pool. <laughs> yeah. Now you don't have to gamble on Pac-Man, you can gamble on the stock market. So that's all done. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about the stock market. And I do know one thing. I was a lot better at Pac-Man than I was at, at pool. I mean, there was guys that played pool, you know, um, that are just, you know, phenomenal. I was a good player, don't get me wrong, but I mean, there's other guys that just was, you know, they lived at the pool, um, on the pool table. That's all they did, you know, um, and I wanted to do, I had more ovens, you know, more things going on in my life, you know, with the fighting and everything else, you know, learning all this stuff and everything. Pac-Man was just a little blow off, you know, it was just a little, 
way to vent steam. Um, so, and I, I guess I just took to it. Somebody taught me how in the beginning, um, which we're going to save that for another podcast, because I want to talk about this one man in particular and how he changed my life um, in a social way. But he's the one who turned me on the path, man. And uh, that was that, man. Yeah, we'll definitely cover that some other time, Tony. That sounds interesting. I mean, we're Martin. Is there anything other questions? We'll probably start wrapping it up soon. So yeah, no, let, let's start it up, wrap it up. But you know, I'm happy to come by again because I love yeah. the chats. Uh, I love to see you again, man. It's great. I mean, I'd really like to talk more about you and all your exploits uh, that we can talk about. You know, in the, the gym exploits. Let's put it that way. But we had <laughs> we had a lot of fun times too. Yeah, you know, and the, the, the sad thing about, you know, growing old is that some of the simple things, like it didn't cost any money, it didn't require a huge level of effort, there's just not enough time for it anymore. Like everybody's busy doing a lot of things that just need to be done, and there's not enough time to just, you know, random socialization. Yeah, I wish we could get back to that, especially now with my situation is much more tenuous than it's ever been and the stress I'm under. So to, to blow off and just hang out um, is great, but it's it's... Like to do it once, I want to do it, but doing it once isn't going to be enough for me. You know, I need to get back into that kind of a lifestyle. I miss you guys is basically what it is. But um, but no, we'll, we will wrap wrap it up. And uh, I want to thank you, Martin, really. And I want to see you in person soon. And uh, and I want to see you back on the podcast as well. And Brian, thanks again for substituting. And, you know, we may have you back next week. I don't know what's up with Nico's. Nico's schedule is really tough during the summer. Um, it opens up in the winter, but, you know. For sure. We'll be welcoming back Joe Cardinal and maybe we'll have some stories and see how nice his hair is growing in three weeks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, guys, and everybody, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like the podcast, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button, right? Think about joining the membership uh, site, which is like 10 bucks a month. And think about the Tri-C program where you, too, can end up as fit as, my, as Martin Witkowski. You may not be as good looking as him. That's beyond my uh, grasp, but I can, I can do my best. And we can maybe have Martin give some tips. Correct, Martin? Sure. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a million. Thanks, everyone.